Yeah. That's right. We're glad you could join us. It's time to sit back, get comfortable, talk about some weird stuff, and just chill for a while. Welcome to After Hours with the Rise Guys. Here's Mad Man at nine. appreciate the show let us know i mean you know we actually had some live calls on the rise guys morning show which is uh the show that nine and i do uh on 93.3 the planet out of greenville south carolina yeah we do that monday through friday the podcast also available every single day yeah and i we say all that to say that you know there's some folks that are finding this show before they find the other show that we've been doing for 17 years yeah so if you like this one you'll like that one uh, if you like uh, that one, you'll probably like this one. Yeah, you will. You will enjoy both. If you like one, you will probably enjoy the other because they both feature us. Yeah, they really do. And you listening and supporting the show by telling others helps support us. Mm-hmm. It really does. It, it does. Yeah, I mean, you might know somebody who only listens to podcasts. They don't like radio. Then tell them about this podcast. They might like this podcast. They might like the other podcast, too. Yeah. Uh, so definitely help us out in that regard because it's like... When we started the Rise Guys Morning Show, it was a grassroots effort. There wasn't marketing behind it. And we're redoing all that again right now with this one. Yeah, plus we have like, like Ronan Farrow competition on Radio.com and like Mark Paul Gosselar from Saved by the Bell and various other people, like big names. Herb Herb Street? Yeah, big names. Yeah, big, big, big name people. So uh, again, thank you for uh, supporting the show and, uh, and all of that. Now... I said to you, Jimmy Jack Jackie, right before we came in here to tape episode four, I was like, I almost wish that we had kept rolling tape after we ended episode three, talking about the life and times of your father, Eddie McDonald. Uh-huh. 
it was such a thrilling. It's what I used to hate about episodic TV is you had to wait a week to find out. I like binge watching things on Netflix. See, I like getting it over with. I don't like that. I like to be able to, to, to digest and appreciate what I'm watching. Um, and I don't feel I can do that when I binge. I like waiting for the next episode. Why? Not just because it's old time, because it gives me time to, 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 fully, to, to fully appreciate what I've been looking, what I've been watching, what I've been, in, what I've been consuming, instead of just rampant consuming. Plus, the looking forward to it oftentimes is the best part. Well, sure. That's why people wait till the honeymoon. Uh, <laughs> but with this, I've known you, like I previously said, for 20 years. Yeah. And some of the things that we said, or you said rather, on episode three, I never knew. And I wanted to ask you, so you know this. You use my own words against me. I said, I never knew that about that. Tell me more. And you're like, it's going to come up in the next episode. I was like, dude, I'm your best friend or whatever. Tell me. And you're like, save it for the air. Save it for the cast. Save it for the cast. Yeah, save it for the pod, man. So I'm saying this quickly. If you did not hear part one of this, which would have been episode three, Go and listen to that before you continue to listen now. Yeah, you really need to get the first. It'd be like, you'd just be coming in in the middle of the story. You need to get the the first half of the story. Right, absolutely. But it is uh, compelling. (laughs) It is interesting. It is wild. It is is, is something else. Otherwise, it'd be like you're coming in in the middle of a movie. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. You're, you're an hour late to a movie. Did you ever see a movie back in the day called Twilight? Before Vampire Twilight came out, this was in the late 90s, maybe 2000, I think no. 98, 99. But it was, uh, I remember Robert Duvall was in it, and Reese Witherspoon was in it, mm-hmm. and she was topless in a swimming pool. And oh. it, was, it was good. I've probably seen the picture then, but uh, not the uh, entire yeah, I'm, movie. I'm sure you have. <laughs> well, anyway, my, my dad wanted to see that movie, and I was going with him, so we went to see that movie. Uh, but this was when, no, this was when the, the Hollywood 20, the... 20 screen multiplex was oh, yeah. fairly new mm-hmm. and before that we just had the old school theaters without stadium seating oh yeah so this place was new they had that movie playing on two screens we've never experienced a movie theater where the same movie played on multiple screens oh that didn't so we went this is going. we went in the wrong one and we watched the second half of the movie and then it was around the, the, the i think we figured it out a few minutes into watching the second half of the movie so then we sat there through the credits and through the previews and through that 15-minute that break where there's nothing going on, and then we watched the first half of the movie, and when it got back to the part we came in on, we left. <laughs> yep. Me and That's dad. like the time we were late when, as kid, when I was a kid. We were going to, uh, uh, I can tell you, Vince Perron's over here in Greenville, and it was a five-course meal, and we had gotten there late. And you know my mama, the original Karen. So uh, to make this story short so we can get to this, yeah. We after dessert, my mom ate salad. Ate salad after dessert. She made them bring out course one that she had paid for. So after dessert, she and Phil and Angel ate salad. They should have got it to go. What did you do with your salad? <laughs> I, they probably had big salads. Oh, okay. They probably okay. split it between the two of them. Some things never change. Right. Never <laughs> will they. Um, so your dad, a, a man that I talked to briefly, uh, I, I, remember the, I remember seeing him standing on the porch Slim guy. Smoking. Look nothing like you. Smoking. Well, I don't think you smoked at that point. You were no, 14. He smoked. Oh, yes. He's, like a freight train. He smoked all the time. Well, our fathers had that in common. At that point, he was smoking the uh, the Swisher Sweets, the little cigarette ones. Oh. Or the, the Havitampas, the cherry cigarette cigar things. My dad was a Vantage guy. Okay, yeah. Vantage. Before that, my dad liked his Doral's, I guess. You know, something. Never basic. Usually Doral. 
I remember cartons of cigarettes would be on the grocery list. Yes. Yes. Cartons. Mm-hmm. And we keep them in the freezer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> keep them in the freeze. Lord God, you bring it back memories. <laughs> but let's get on this. Let's yeah. get on it. So where we left off was getting to the point where my dad and my Uncle Herman were running beer joints here in Greenville, South Carolina in the late 60s, mid to late 60s and up through the 70s a little bit too. And for those of you that are not in the South that are listening to this from God knows where, uh, a beer joint is a bar that uh, some would call a hole in the wall, but yeah. they only serve beer. Another thing about a beer joint, rough place. Big Don't, time. Not a place where I want to go, not a place where Matt wants to go, not a place where you probably want to go either. Generally a rough bunch. A place like in a movie where if someone out of town walked in the bar, the record player would screech and everyone would turn and look. Yeah. That's and a beer joint. None of them would be happy about mm-hmm. you being there. Yeah. Nothing to do with marijuana either. Yeah, kind of rough around the edges, bunch of bunch of criminal types. Kind of like, well, my dad and... My Uncle Herman and their customers and various people who were involved in the, the beer joint. Serial killers, maybe? Yeah. Perhaps. Ah, where to start with the beer joints? It's 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 interesting with the beer joints because there's a few big stories from the beer joint days. Now, where they ran a beer joint was not far from the neighborhood where we both grew up, Matt. Pomeal yeah, represent. Yeah, right up the street from the Mill Village where we grew up, not far from downtown Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. Um, so... My dad and my uncle run this beer joint. Building no longer stands. It's been bulldozed long ago. But uh, I'll start with the... All right. I'll, I I know there's an order for the stories to go in. It's just weird to start with either one of them. Was the beer joint a former VFW by chance? I don't think so. Okay, I'm thinking of a different so. spot. This building there. was torn down a long time ago. You probably don't remember it in okay. your lifetime. Okay. I know I don't. Perfect. I just know where it was. Okay. But uh, I'll start with, with, with this story. My, uh, my, my uncle and my dad both had this problem where if they drank liquor, especially whiskey, they would, uh, they'd, they'd get really wild and crazy and mean and something bad would always happen, right? That happens to me, too. It, it happens sometimes. I, I, I can do whiskey and I'm fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a lot of people can't, though, and I've I seen can't. it. Plenty. It doesn't end well. I get, I get the ornery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Uncle Herman, again, this is Greenville, South Carolina in the 1960s. Uh, Uncle Herman is not a man I'm particularly fond of for a number of reasons, and he'll come up a few times through this this second half of this podcast. Every person has a family member they're not too fond of. Well, Uncle Herman went to a, a predominantly black neighborhood called Brutontown, which is right near the beer joint that sure. my dad and uh, and Uncle Herman ran together. Right there behind Piedmont Shirt. Yeah, so uh, my dad is, is closing up the beer joint late one night, and Uncle Herman kind of disappears. My dad didn't notice. He's, you know, counting out the drawer or whatever. Doing the till. Doing the till, Doing the yes. business. Yeah. So he's taking care of business, and Uncle Herman disappears. Well, my dad gets to trying to figure out where Uncle Herman is. Uncle Herman went outside and uh, and got some scrap wood from out back, and he fashioned a, a very primitive cross-like structure. And then he goes to this neighborhood, and he lights it on fire in the middle of the street. And, and, and he got away from my dad then, so my dad had to follow him in there and try to get him out of that neighborhood, where these people, rightfully so, were going to kill him in the street most likely. What? Okay, yeah. I, I know what that signifies. Yeah, and uh, not a good message. No, a horrible message. Mm-hmm. Awful message. But what particularly did anything happen that night to make him decide to, out of the blue, go and light a burn a, to burn a cross in a predominantly black neighborhood? My dad said he was just drunk. Okay. He was just like he was just he was hammered, drunk. He was tanked, and that's all it was. Nothing happened. There was no incident to spur it. Nothing like that. He just got drunk and had this this 
you know, crazy racist idea to go do this. Well, you know what the crazy thing is, too, is that I've often heard, not from anybody in my family, but that was done sometime as a prank. Yeah. Like, they really didn't necessarily mean, like, hey, I hate, you know, a particular ethnicity or a race, but, oh, this is like, it's almost like rolling someone's house yeah. or forking their yard. Yeah, yeah. But they don't realize what it means and how they have to explain that to their children. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just something he was kind of doing back then, I guess, to try to, try to just be a hateful butthole to people. Cause yeah. it's, I mean, he's not a good dude. He was not at all. I think it's okay to call him an asshole. That's totally what that is. Well, you know, you can. Yeah. I, I don't will. think about him much. I will. Yeah. I would if he's still living. Yeah. Only to his to, face? Only to his face, though. Okay. But, yeah, so my dad has to go in there and try. He's trying to just get his brother out of, out of harm's way and kind of, he, he, I think he was hoping to prevent this from getting started, but by the time he got there, this thing's laying on the ground, not standing upright, but laying on the ground and it's on fire and Herman's drunk, stumbling around in the street. And people are taking notice because, you know, he's like slamming car doors and honking horns and making a ruckus of drunkenness out in the street trying oh, to get their attention. Man. So by the time my dad gets in there... He's and trying to get their attention before he even got it up and lit? He's trying to... Get, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the details. Sure. But I'm just... But when your dad gets there, it's down on the ground. Yeah, it's on okay. the ground, and it's kind of halfway on fire, kind of half-ass, not really burning. Uh, but uh, the people knew what was going on, and they were not happy about it. So my dad gets Herman in, in my dad's car and uh, hauls ass out of the neighborhood, being shot at the whole way. People were out on the porches shooting at them. Wow. Again, in the 60s, that kind of happened. Oh, yeah. Shootings, I mean. Oh, yeah. It was kind of like, well, we're getting back to it now, unfortunately. But back Uh then, it was a lot freer to just shoot at people. Right. So, and they they left Herman's car there, and that was the end of Herman's car. Never saw it again. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you shouldn't have seen it again. Serves him right. No, no. I'm just saying, I I wonder, like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's not the end of that story. They didn't just shoot at him on the way out of the neighborhood. Some of the fellas got in cars and fought him out of the neighborhood and kept shooting at him. They get in Uncle Herman's car and drive it down there? Uh, no, no, no. They got in their own cars, I guess, oh, okay. and drove those. Herman yeah. might have had the keys in his pocket. Who Makes knows? sense. But, uh, but yeah. It'd be they hard get... to hotwire it that fast. So there's a car chase and a shootout going on through Greenville, right through that neighborhood oh, my and God. the beer joint. And it doesn't end until they get back to, this is where my dad was dumb. He went back to his own damn house. And wound up oh, hiding no. out on the porch behind the banisters, being shot at for a couple minutes before those guys left. Oh my God! Yeah, it's he all led him right to that. It's all Herman's dumbass fault. The whole whole damn thing. Is your dad married to your mom at this point, or is he a single guy? They didn't know each other yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. At this point, my mom would have been like sixteen, seventeen at most. So, did anything happen after that with the with those guys realizing where your father lived? No, just an isolated incident. Wow. Nothing else ever came of it after that. Uh, that Herman, sounds like an episode of in the heat of the night. Herman didn't go start any trouble after that, at least not there. He still was starting trouble other places, and we're going to get to that story next because that is kind of the that's the next step in the the beer joint days. And was your uncle Herman, you know, after part one of of, of this uh, the life and times of Eddie McDonald? Um, we know your dad's been in and out of trouble. So was your dad a bad role model for Uncle Herman, or were they both already just bad seeds? Herman was the second oldest brother. My dad was the youngest. They both were just bad seeds from a bad family, bad upbringing. Yeah. Uncle Clinton, the oldest boy, turned out the best of the bunch. Uncle Herman was also abused and— I, I don't think it was as bad. I think he was just kind of kind of a dick. Okay. Yeah, I think he was just kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the, you know— I'd the, say he's a full-on dick. Yeah, all of what I've heard yeah. so far. Yeah, well, you're about to get more. You're about to get more Uncle Herman. Oh boy! This is when the 
Does Uncle Herman des- deserve his own episode? <laughs> no, th- this all, this is, these are all the Uncle Herman stories. He plays a small part in a few other stories, okay. but these are the bulk of the Uncle Herman stories. The next Uncle Herman story, and this kind of concludes the beer joint running days, a couple highlights of that. I mean, sure, there were drunks to break up fights with every night and people getting beat up and stuff and having to lay hands on people and threaten people and chase people off. That went on every night at a beer joint back then. Sure. So the big stories, though, are the one about Uncle Herman and the, and the cross and this one here where Uncle Herman was, he was having sex with some guy's wife. Okay. And that guy found out about it. And he knew who my dad was. He knew who Herman was. And he knew what beer joint they ran. And he knew exactly where to find him. So he goes up there one night and he's already drunk when he gets there. Of course. And uh, he's after Uncle Herman's ass, as you would be. Mm. A lot of people would be. If kick your ass. My wife's cheating on me. With, with Herman's ugly ass, I'm going to go get him. You know, I've been in many fights and never did it actually get to the ass, any of the violence. You know, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to beat your ass. Yeah. I've never punched anyone in the ass. I don't think I've ever kicked anybody in the ass. Well, this fella. Or walk, need anybody or anything. Walked through the front door of the beer joint <laughs> toting a Bowie knife. Wow. Which and is, we ain't talking David. Which is, a.k.a. big ass knife. That's a Bowie knife. Big ass hunting knife. It's not a knife. Yeah. Yeah. Big ass hunting type knife he's right. got here. Yeah. So, uh, now here's the thing, beer joint back then, obviously, my dad is running the beer joint. There's guns behind the counter. He has a gun, and Uncle Herman has a gun. Uncle Herman, they're both armed, and this guy comes in with a knife, and he's walking up to Uncle Herman, and he's telling him, I'm, I'm here to get you because you've been having sex with my wife, and I, I'm going to get you for it. He's going to stab him. Obviously, <laughs> I love he, the way you say it. You're you. paraphrasing. I'm going to get you. Yeah, I don't know what he was saying. been sleeping with my wife, and I'm going to get you for But it. he intended to disembowel Uncle Herman with a damn big oh knife. Oh, my God. He's going. He's walking with a knife. He's going to no, kill him. No, I understand, yeah. but he did. I mean, he got behind the bar. No, he didn't get behind the bar. He's verbalizing this threat, and he has this big weapon, and he's walking towards Uncle Herman. And what does Uncle Herman do? Pulls out a sawed-off shotgun. He freezes. He froze. He didn't do a damn thing about it. He was going to stand there and get stabbed is what he was going to do. What What? What happened? I mean, what, does, anyone, does anybody know why he just froze? Because this sounds like a guy who would know how to That's what he's a bitch. Oh, really? I mean, I don't know. He's just going to stand there and get stabbed. He's not going to try to defend himself. I guess, or maybe he knew, like, look, I'm not a good person. I'm in the wrong. This guy's in the right. Maybe I should take it. He doesn't sound like a guy no. who would uh, no. say I'm going to be some martyr for the cause. He froze because he was scared. He was scared and he couldn't move. Like he was scared to the point that he couldn't even defend himself, and he was just going to get cut up for it. I have never had my, a knife pulled on me, uh. nor am I asking for one. Come in. I I would never. Uh, I don't know how to react to that. Yeah. You can't duck. Yeah. They'll just lean over and get you. Oh yeah. They probably catch me running. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do. I, I don't know either. I've never been in that spot. I don't want to be. Well, I didn't. When I, the one time I was I was at a gas station near downtown Greenville one night late. And uh, there was some gunfire outside right as I walked in the door. I remember this, yeah. Everybody else in the store hit the deck. I just kept walking because, well, the gunfire, I could tell exactly where it came from, and it wasn't coming in my direction. So I I didn't, I wasn't phased by it, but everybody else hit the deck. (laughs) You didn't piss yourself or anything? No, I really didn't, man. I didn't didn't hardly react to it at all. It was the strangest thing. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, so, my dad is... At the he beer just joint. up the counter and said, pack of cigarettes, please. Smokes. <laughs> so my dad's at the beer joint, and Uncle Herman's about to get stabbed, right? Yeah. Well, what happens then is my dad pulls out his gun. He had a little twenty-five caliber pistol, and, uh, and he shoots the guy. He shot him one time in the gut, and that was the end of that for then. Uh, and that would be legal. 
Because he brandished a weapon after uh, Uncle, or toward Uncle Herman. Does your dad... Oh, I'm getting too fast into this. Why are you getting ahead of yourself? Put the cart back behind the horse? Oh, we're going. To, I don't want to get a commercial break. Damn it! Okay. So the next thing that happens is that obviously, like the you know the guy's laying on the ground and bleeding, and he's been shot in the gut, and he's drunk, and he's probably bleeding a lot because he's drunk too. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Uncle Herman's still frozen up, like in shock or whatever the hell. So my dad he calls the law and and calls the ambulance. Yes. <laughs> to, uh, to to come take care of this, they take the guy to the hospital. The guy uh, he died three days later. Mm. Yeah, because he was shot in the gut. He didn't wasn't oh, yeah. quick. It was a long, painful thing. So three days later, he passed away from the gunshot wound to the gut. And uh, the, the, well, a couple of days after that, uh, <laughs> the, the Greenville PD came and the sheriff's department, and, and they charged my dad with murder. Full on murder. Yeah, they charged him with murder for for killing that guy. I in was the thinking joint. it would be it would be manslaughter. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So he was charged with a crime and. Uh, Eventually, those charges were dropped okay. in favor of, uh, well, he was defending my uncle's life, so self-defense, whatever. Um, they probably interviewed several of the patrons, and they said, yeah. They charged him. Well, I don't think there were any patrons. I think it was my dad and my uncle and that guy. Oh. That guy was dead. My dad and my uncle told the same story. Okay. So what do you say? What actually happened in that beer joint, as far as I know, that's the truth. But again, the only three, three people in there were my dad, my uncle, and a dead guy. So anything could have happened in that beer so, joint. That's just the story I know. I read your body language, and as we've talked about before, I, I can read your body language really well, Nine. No, it's just me saying I don't know what really happened. That might be it, but maybe not. I really don't know. As a listener now, I'm starting to question the story. No surveillance then, though, No. because it was too early. This was like 1960s, maybe early 70s, but I want to say very late 60s. I'm thinking that they put the, the knife in the guy's hand. Yeah, I don't think. I don't I mean. I don't know. No, who knows? Know. That's just the story I heard. And anyway, it got dropped, and and you're sticking to it. Yeah. So after the beer joint days, my dad went back to prison one final time, and I don't know what for. How? What do you mean? How they arrested him? How could him? you not? Uh, is that not? Uh... He went so many times. I don't know what he was charged with every time. Something. Wow. But it was at a state level because he went back to the, the pen in Columbia. Now this is interesting because my dad, again, Eddie Lee McDonald. If anybody wants to look him up. It's always Lee, that middle name. It is, it is. So here's the thing about it. The last time he went to prison, he was supposed to be there for about five years. And about halfway through that, they came and got him and told him he was getting out. He never asked any questions, but they did walk him right to the front gate and let him out and send him on his merry way. He wasn't supposed to get out yet. And there was no reason given for why he got out early. Nothing was said about an early release. He was completely shocked and surprised. He thought when they were leading him out that the guards were going to just Shoot. J- just stop. And be like, <laughs> we're messing with you. Get back to yourself. Oh, man. They were just messing April with April Fools, him. we took your calendar. You don't know. He thought they were going to come back and get him after they let him out. As a matter of fact, he lived the rest of his life from that point on. Never, He didn't really want to ask and find out. Because yeah. he didn't want to go back for the rest of that sentence, but he lived the rest of his life with the back of his mind thinking, "Am I supposed to be out? Like if they if they, they going to come get me? If I get pulled over, am I going to get taken back to prison for two and a half years? I didn't serve because they screwed up." I also wonder if it's often a, a, a prank that prison guards do. Well, back then you could do stuff like that. Now you probably can't, but back then, oh yeah, all kind of stuff. Get right to the gates out. We're just messing with you there, Tony. It was a much less regulated society before all this surveillance and stuff. Oh sure. Now, yeah. Back then, nobody knew where anybody was. So, and this is still prior to meeting your mother. Yeah, okay. yeah. He did, he was done with all his prison stuff before he met my mother. When he met my mother in the, the mid nineteen seventies. Yeah. 
So he was back out of prison and back working and doing stuff. And, you know, he always had different little odd jobs, especially jobs where you could drive for a living. <clears throat> I don't know what he was doing at this point in the 70s. He might have been back to being security guard or something. Wow. Yeah. And he didn't, when he got out, he wasn't on parole or anything like that. No, I don't think the system was quite like that back then. It wasn't, um, well, it wasn't as much for profit back then. Like, it, it's weird that back then when it was when it was more primitive, it seemed like they were more into, you know, trying to, to punish slash rehabilitate. Yes. Whereas now they're trying to get rich. Right. Because the, the, you know how it is, backwards ass. Yes. Big time. Yeah. So. Just thinking though, if he got five years for the initial sentence, it yeah. must have been something pretty big. Felonious, I'm sure. Yes. He was a felon many times over. Bunch of felonies. Yes. Dating way back into the 1950s. <laughs> So, yeah, at this point, he gets out of prison, and he's just doing his thing, and he's kind of in that 70s Burt Reynolds zone, mm-hmm. wearing, like, the Burt Reynolds button-up Western-style shirt, kind of pearl snap-like. Hairy chest. Had mustache. He didn't have a real hairy chest, but he'd let it show. I mean, he'd have that thing unbuttoned out of the belly button, just show off whatever he could. Holy crap, dude. And you have a kind of a Burt Reynolds laugh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, we have some stuff in common with Burt. Yeah. So I have an ass like Sally Field. That's when my dad met my mom. Now, my mom, before she met my dad... uh, We'll get it. There's a whole episode on stuff my mom did with being in a cult and whatnot. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, I don't know that I can call you my best friend because I'm finding out so many things I didn't know about you. Oh, yeah. I've revealed my entire life to you, Nine. Well, don't worry. In a future episode, we'll talk about my mom being in a cult with Mick Fleetwood. We'll talk about it. My (laughs) Lord. You know what? And now I'm starting to think you're making some of this I up. Promise, this is man. incredible. These crazy people told me these stories, so I'll tell them to you the same they told them oh to me, my dude. God. So anyway, uh, but my mom, before my dad met my mom, she was dating a gentleman. Again, this is a story you might think I made up. You might know his name. A gentleman by the name of Tommy Nobis. Sounds familiar, but I don't know why. He was a, a number one overall draft pick in the NFL draft. He was an offensive lineman out of, I believe, the University of Texas, played for the Atlanta Falcons for a number of years, went on to uh, retire and work in their front office, and uh, just, you know, had a great career. Might he might be have a been Hall of Famer. one of the ones that uh, trained when they trained at Furman. Exactly. That's where they met, because he was in town training at Furman back in the 70s when they did it. That explains it. Yep. So that's where they met. So she was dating a number one NFL draft pick who went on to work a front office job for the, uh, the Atlanta Falcons for many years after he retired. So what does she do? Started dating Chris Miller. No, she finds my dad instead, and this 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 fel- felonious man, this criminal lowlife. But does she know this? Oh yeah. Okay. But obviously, that's who she's going to like more, right? She's going to like the, the the criminal way better than this college educated number one draft pick football player stud man. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't get it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't exist without it. Sometime in the seventies. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. That's yeah. the time. Yeah. So yeah, she's going for the bad boy. Yeah. She was young, though. She was in her 20s. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. Had, she had seen Saturday Night Fever. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. She wanted that Burt Reynolds-looking guy, not the big athletic guy. Right. Yeah. So she winds up getting with my dad. And as far as I know, I mean, I don't know a lot of the stories from this this part when they first met. Apparently, everything was great for a while. Harmonious. Like a new relationship is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But back then, <laughs> you know, time moved a little, things went a little slower in general. So instead of like three months of that kind of blissful new relationship, it was more like three years of it makes sense yeah and then things started to slide we live faster now yeah because you know my dad he didn't drink all the time at this point he was better about his drinking but he still drank a lot and way too much and too much whiskey any drugs not that i'm aware of yes i don't know i only ever saw my dad smoke a joint one time i was asking if he had any on you oh no not anymore no (laughs) it should hit me up before we started oh well no okay so she's aware of all this your mother she's going with the bad boy 
who she's very aware of his history. Uh, he's still drinking occasionally. Yeah, at this point, they've been together like three years. Tommy Novus, distant memory. Okay. So uh, this is a great story about my parents, and this will tell you a lot about how dysfunctional I am myself. Um, I've often wondered. All right. You know, I'll, I'll tell you where it is. There's a little V-shaped intersection if you leave in downtown Greenville, headed out towards uh, towards Furman University, the old Mill Hill where we grew up. Oh, yes. Headed out of town, that V-shaped intersection mm-hmm. right there. It's just a fork in the road. Right. So back then, there used to be a, a building that started out wide and got really narrow at the fork, where it got narrow at the fork. It was kind of a V-shaped v- building sitting yeah. there. They tore it down and built a McDonald's and stuff yes. since then. Oh, yeah. So that's where my dad wrecked the car one night. Now, he was hammered drunk driving around and wrecked the car into a telephone pole there. Again, this is the 70s. We didn't have open container laws in South Carolina at this point. It was you could do stuff. It wasn't even a Tommy's uh, ham house then. I don't think so. You yeah. could, I mean, I think you could, get, you could DUI was illegal, but no open container laws at that point. You could drive right. around drinking beer, but you better not be drunk off of it. Right. So my dad crashed into a telephone pole there, right outside of downtown, and uh, when he woke up with the cops checking on him and waking him up and an ambulance and stuff, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't remember getting in the car or anything. Now the thing is, my dad had a bullet in his left knee. This is from from the previous shooting. No, well, this is from that night. This is a fresh bullet wound in his left oh, knee. Oh, that very night. Yeah, he had been shot in the leg. So when they find him in the wrecked car, he's bleeding from a bullet hole in his leg. He has a bullet in his knee from just recently. So does he try to act like it's an injury from the car accident, or do they take it as an injury from the car accident? No, he didn't know what. I mean, he's like, I got shot? Really? He didn't know he'd been shot. He didn't know what had happened. So there's been an argument in my family. My dad's been dead for 18 years now. My mom will still argue with with you about this if you bring it up, like she's arguing with him, even though he's been dead for nearly two decades. What did she try to say? My dad swore that that night when he and my mom got into it and he was drunk, that she shot him, and that's why he left the house. He went stumbling out of the house, dragging his leg, because she shot him in the leg. Mom said my dad must have accidentally shot himself because she didn't know how he got shot. So either he accidentally shot himself in the leg because he was hammered, or... My mom shot him in the leg because he was hammered. And they both stuck to those stories for as long as my dad lived, and my mom won't come off of it even to this day. I don't know what really happened, but I have, I've always had a sneaking suspicion my mom's the one who did it. I've heard tell of people getting in car accidents they were carrying and ended up shooting themselves in it, car accidents. This would have happened at the house. This, we didn't have a gun with him in the car. Oh, it was not? So, okay. Yeah, she said he did it at the house, and he said she did it at the house. Hmm. So I always, believe more. I, I always had the suspicion that she did it. And that's why he left, belligerent. Yeah, I think he... Because he, he wasn't drinking hardcore then. I, I think that they got into it, got into an altercation that may have become somewhat physical, and then she shot him in the leg, and then he went staggering out and kind of get to, to, to escape from getting shot. Now, if she says that she... I have to watch this. I'm going to start. She shot my shoe short. If she, your mother, shot him and over some kind of argument, surely she would remember what the argument was about, does she? Well, she denied shooting him, though. She said he did it. He said she did. He oh, said she said did. that she did. Yeah. If, but, if they agreed on who shot him, it wouldn't be an argument for okay, 40 years. Okay, but is there any kind, of, uh, any kind of wonderment about what the argument was about or what the disagreement was? Drunk rednecks. Okay. Drunk, emotionally traumatized rednecks. Yeah. Yeah. Was know. she drinking that night as well? She used to drink. I imagine she might have been too. They probably both were. But yeah. What's I mean, her drink of choice? We know he liked whiskey. Rum, I think. Rum. And she liked Crown too. She drank some whiskey. She ever been on a cruise? No. Take her on one. No. She'd love it. She don't like boats or water. <laughs> she don't like much. She yeah. likes law and order and food, and that's about it. Yeah. 
and me and, and my dogs. 20 pounds of bananas. Yeah, and 20 pounds of bananas. Okay. She accidentally buys too much from the Walmart grocery thing. The cops come up. This guy's been shot. He doesn't really know why exactly yeah. at the moment. Yeah, so nobody was ever charged with any kind of crime related to that shooting. Again, this is the 1970s at this point. Um, well, what did you do? I mean, what what are the cops supposed to do? Well, back in those days, if you called the cops, it wasn't like an obligation that they had to charge somebody with some kind of crime. Now, if you call the cops, somebody's asked going to jail. Back yeah, then, it wasn't if, that way. Even if you don't press charges, they'll still press charges for you. Yeah, like if somebody calls the cops now, somebody's going to jail, yeah. most likely. Back yeah. then, not necessarily. They have to get and that gas money back. Law enforcement has changed a lot. Yeah. Now, a lot more people go to jail. For profit. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a slide on the cops, a slide on the system. No, that's, we, that's why you said, you said jail and I said for profit. Yeah, yeah. So I think we can all agree on that. So after the, uh, the after that with the uh, the shooting, everything goes, look, they got over it, they got past it. Um, probably some kind of codependency, weird stuff. They you know, kept dating and eventually my mom got pregnant. Here I came in December of 1984. That's when I was born. So we can fast forward. Let me write to, that down in my day. Yeah, December 10th, 1984, <laughs> if you want to get me a gift. Yeah. If any of y'all want to get me a gift. December 10th, 84. I'll be 36 this year. Now, were you uh, were you an accident? Were they planning for, because your father had some uh, half-children? Yeah. Well, they were full, full children. children yeah. Half-brothers and sisters. Half my half-brothers and sisters. Did yeah. Moose have children? Moose being your mother, the, the affectionate nickname we mentioned last episode. Yeah. Did she have children? She had a, another son. Uh, I have a half-brother named Daniel. He lives up in, in Greenville, North Carolina area. You've met him, right? Yeah, he's a real great guy. Yeah. Real nice guy. Uh, we have we kind of just get along well. You look alike? We're kind of similar. And a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're just similar. We've got the same hobbies and stuff. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he's an electrician with a family and just does his He things. likes t-shirts with cuss words all over him? Uh, probably not. Probably. Like he's a little more straight-laced than me, but he's yes. a cool guy. <laughs> Should hang out with him more. Oh, yeah. I'll <laughs> tell you the story about him getting busted with a pound of weed in his Camaro. My Lord. <laughs> You know, this podcast is just going to end up being about the McDonald family what, history. That's what I'm thinking, because, man, I'm not even going to have time in this episode <laughs> to talk about my sister who died in prison. Um, Save it. Hell. These are all real. All yeah. these stories are real. I swear. No. <laughs> I promise you they are. Listen, most of mine I can't do until somebody dies. Yeah, I know. So after <laughs> I was born, things seemed to be, you know, pretty good for a little while up, yeah. up until then. But, yeah, to answer your question, though, that you got to, no, nah, my parents weren't the kind of people to plan pregnancies. Absolutely okay. not. Okay. I was an unexpected surprise. Nice. <laughs> All their kids were, I think. What a delightful surprise you've been. Yeah. Because my dad, I mean, he turned 40, 46 um, nine days after I was born. God. He probably thought he was done. That'd be like 46. me becoming a father next year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Never. Yeah. And then my mom was, she turned 32 a couple months after. Oh, wow. And back then, that was too old to be having babies, everybody told me. I think he still is. Might be. Might be. It is for me. <laughs> so everything was good for a while. Um, you know, I'd get to do family stuff. Like, my dad had some friends to go see and stuff. One of them had a farm. We'd go out on the farm. One time, I got kicked by a mule. I love that story. It's a great story, because I, I, I got too close behind a mule. Mew, yeah. as, as my dad would say, mew. Donkey. And uh, that mew kicked me. And yeah. knocked me down, knocked the wind out of me, and scared me real bad. Mm -hmm. But my dad do? He went over and kicked that mule in the ass. My dad, kicked him back. Oh, my, your dad's kicked ass, an actual ass's ass. Yeah, my dad wow. got in a fight with a mule because the mule kicked me. My dad went and beat up a mule one time. Boy, him and the the cats and, and the now donkeys. And the people, and yeah, yeah, we're not done there. We're not done with the violence. There's more violence to come. Lord God. Don't you worry. So, yeah, I mean, there are things like that that went on. I remember a time when my, my dad... All this violence, we're going to get an R rating on iTunes. Are you familiar with the term grifter? 
Yes, a traveling man. Kind of, yeah. My dad was kind of one of those. Yeah. At one point in the in the late eighties, he had a, a motorhome. He called it. It's an RV, Clark. It's a motorhome. <laughs> so uh, tenement on wheels. Yep, tenement on wheels is what it was. And what my dad did was uh, he got some of his old wino buddies, and they would get. <laughs> Matt loves this story. Matt, they would get in this RV. This is awful to admit. This is the puzzle pieces of this story that I do know. I didn't even do it, and it's awful to admit this. <laughs> My dad and his wino buddies, they would go around to, to Walmarts and Kmarts and stores like that, just around the, the Carolinas and Georgia, and maybe up into Tennessee some, too. And I'm they, not laughing because I support I this. This is awful. They had all these big plastic bags full of these little plastic flag clip-on <laughs> pins, American flag, the stars and stripes. And they'd go around and they'd give these things out for money. They'd take donations for disabled veterans. And all they were doing was lining their pockets with money, pretending to be a charity for disabled veterans in the 1980s. <laughs> My dad could be president doing that kind of stuff. Your dad supported a family of three. Yeah, yeah. By stealing valor. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he presented himself as a veteran. I he think was some just of the other guys up for them. were veterans. Yeah. Some of the winos were like Vietnam vets and stuff. That stuff still happens on Facebook. So even if he wasn't, you know, portraying himself to be a veteran, he was collecting money for them and not giving any of it to them. Right. So that's that's where it was awful. And they would go from town to town doing it. Yeah. I think that still happens with with beggars. I think it does. Absolutely does. Yeah. And then uh, from from there, um, my dad quit drinking at one point in my life, and it was after my parents got in a fist fight, and I saw it. It's one of my earliest memories in life. As a matter of fact, that might be the first thing in my life I do remember. Your parents, when you say a fist fight, you mean they were like squared up against each other? Yeah. Put them up, kid. Yeah, I mean, it started. this was a point where we lived by the flea market, the Anderson Jockey Lot. Oh, the my, hallowed grounds. My parents had a, a double-wide mobile home on a muddy lot right across that side street from the, the flea market. And my Uncle Herman, who used to own all the school buses down there by the flea market, he lived in the little ramshackle house on the other side. So my parents double wide, field full of old school buses. Ramshackle house. Uncle Herman's shack. So this fight starts in in, in our place, inside our place, um, our double wide that we didn't live in for very long. So uh, and it, it was physical, you know, like my mom went out the door and my dad went out behind her and they're fighting the whole way. And, and I went out following them because I'm three years old or so. And I followed them while they're fighting all the way to Uncle Herman's house. My mom's basically trying to run away from my dad towards Uncle Herman's house to get some help. I get to Uncle Herman's house, and what I remember is going into Uncle Herman's house, and my mom's on the floor, and my dad's on top of her, straddling her, and he's punching her. This fight, you know, that's what happened. Um, and Uncle Herman's standing there, again, too scared, to, too scared to do a thing. Oh, Frozen Herman. in his shoes, couldn't do a thing to separate them, get them off each other. Couldn't do a thing about it. Um, and again, it's one of the first things I remember in, in my entire life is seeing this. Yeah. And after that is when my dad stopped drinking. Just cold turkey quit. My parents split up, got divorced. My dad quit drinking. Um, I don't think anybody called the cops that day. My dad didn't go to jail that day. My mom didn't go to jail. Nobody went to jail for fighting. Um, I know that. I don't think my. I don't know if my mom was drinking at that point, but she had some anger issues too. So yeah. you have a, you have a, a drunk guy. And you have a, a lady with some anger issues, and she was going to push some buttons and keep pushing some buttons and keep pushing some buttons, and he wasn't going to be able to respond to it in any kind of way anybody should. It's strange that she would the, want to run to his brother's house. Well, it's the, somebody she knows Closest close place, by yeah. who might help, but Uncle Herman, again, frozen in fear, couldn't do anything. He's a lot bigger than my dad, too, but he wasn't about to mess with him, apparently. 
I was going to say, what I know about your mom, I can't see her running from your dad. Yeah, well, again, it's like when he, you know, he said he had that demon in him when he drank. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like the same guy. Right. <laughs> he, he wasn't a big guy, but when you saw him drunk and, and raging like that, you know, he's a lot bigger than he looked. What are the Iron Maiden, what do they call their little uh, demon guy? Eddie. Oh. oh. <laughs> Talking about Eddie? <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that's, that story is, is terrible, but it's also when my dad stopped drinking, and then he was able to be an entrepreneur, and he ran a few different little restaurant, diner-type places. Back to that. Okay, that was yeah. the beginning. He ran the one by the old motel behind the old auditorium in downtown Greenville, yeah. where he ran that one downtown, and he just he served hot dogs. It's a Jamaican place now, or it was no, recently. It doesn't exist anymore. I'd be dead. That whole place is torn down. It's a parking lot now. Wow. A parking garage and a parking lot. No wonder they wouldn't take my reservation. Yeah, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore, but he ran one there, and he ran a few different little restaurants around town. He loved doing that kind of stuff but he had just his, his own his own uh, mental problems yeah his own mental health issues he'd get the place going and then he'd get burnt out on it after about six months and just give it up just quit and then he'd go back to driving a taxi would it, would it be thriving and he would just personally get burned out on it it'd be doing well but he'd get burnt out on it because you know you can't find good help because you're not trying to pay anybody any money to help you oh yeah, yeah. so he had to run the whole thing and he's back there cooking all day and it would just consume his life, basically. And that was his first he, burp ever on the podcast. He would get burnt out on it. Yeah, I could so, see. Yeah, and then he yeah. just quit doing it. And he, he did that uh, with at least three places I can think of right off the top of my head. And what he would, he, he would do, go back to stealing money from disabled veterans? No, or? no. After that, after that he, he generally worked honest jobs. Like he'd drive a taxi. Um, he, he drove a, a van where he'd go pick up railroad crews. Uh, when their shift was over, he'd go wow. pick them up and take them to the hotel. And he'd go anywhere from uh, Atlanta up to Linwood, North Carolina. So that's a pretty big range to go picking guys up. He would probably work for Uber if he were around today. Absolutely would. Yeah, yeah. it's more entrepreneurial than the cab company. Plus, you don't have to paint up your car yellow and put stuff on it, computers and stuff, yeah. meters. Um, so he would do stuff like that. He'd drive a box truck and deliver Avon products, anything like that. Uh-huh. You know, At one point, he, uh, he and my mom lived in Savannah, and he managed a furniture store. For a few years, when they were really happy in the seventies, right after they met, they were in Savannah being happy, running the furniture store together. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. That was one of the best times in their life. I so guess. he's entrepreneurial, yeah. but single. Well, they did that went throughout his entrepreneurial um, escapades. He and my, my mom were common law married, then they got divorced after that fight, and he quit drinking and all that. Okay. Well, that's when I was about three to four. They were getting divorced, and then when I was about seven, they got back together and they got remarried. Second marriage. Yep, to each other. Yes. Third for my mom, sixth for my dad, second to my mom. I think he quit counting after five. I think so. Yeah. So that was his uh, yeah, his second marriage to my mom. And then uh, that went all right for a year or two, and then they got divorced again. Not ugly. Nothing bad happened like before. Much more amicable split the second time. They just didn't like each other much. Second marriage to each other, second divorce from each other. Yeah. Rare is that. Yeah. Don't worry. They got married a third time later on, but just for insurance purposes. I'm set it up, Jim. <laughs> um, so what else do He's we He's still have? cabbie driving, uh, driving a cab. He's driving point. a cab some, running a restaurant some, going back to driving a cab. Just different jobs like that. Right. Kind of bouncing around a little bit. He never stayed in one place for too long. He liked to uh, he liked to trade his cars. He liked to move a lot, and he liked to change jobs a lot. Mm-hmm. He never could settle down. He never was he never was at peace in his life. I'll say that. You tiptoed around or foreshadowed a little bit of more about more violence coming. No, I think we've hit most of the violence. Oh, I thought there was more animal violence. Oh no, no, the kicking the mules is the last of the, oh, that was the last the last one. of the violence. The kicking the mule and the fist fight with my parents is the last of the violence. 
Um, no more keeping up with Pee Wee Gaskins. No, Pee Wee's been executed by now. He I was know. executed in the 90, 91. Okay. So, yeah, he's been dead for a few years by now. Cause I forget I'm, how old you are. I'm seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. Okay. It's uh, This is around the time we took the best family vacation I ever took in my life. These are a few happy stories to end it on. Um, Santa's this, Land? No, when we went, uh, all three of us, the only time we ever took a family vacation, me and both my parents, we went to Pigeon Forge one time. Oh, Gatlinburg, love Tennessee. Love that place. That's the time my mom got pulled off the, the Dollywood train. To be in the show where she has to marry the hillbilly guy. Yes. So that's and she's not the type. You don't want to play along. No, but that's when they both were. Neither one of them was suffering from the deep dark depression. Neither one of them was battling that at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, they both were in good places. Like the money situation was good. Everything was good. That was one of the. I mean, that was the the, the only part of my childhood that was remotely stable for about a year there during their second marriage. Okay. Before it went bad and they split up again. And after that, it was kind of off the rails again. So they're divorced a third time? Divorced a second time. A second time. Yeah, this is back to the second divorce. Okay. After they got divorced that second time, was it was an interesting time in, 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 uh, in my life with my dad, especially because at one point when I was about 12, uh, we got into some kind of argument. We didn't talk for about six months. You and your dad? Yeah. Yeah. It's some kind of argument. I don't remember what about. I don't remember. It wasn't a very serious thing. Um, but we were mad at each other when I was like 12 years old. I didn't talk to my dad for about six months there. And, but then we, we started talking again and saw each other again and reconnected and got close. And I actually went to live with him most of the time for a while there. Hmm. Yeah. So did you get mad at your mom? No, I wasn't mad at my mom. I just wanted to You're go. You're just be, making up for lost time maybe. I'd always lived with my mom even when my parents were split up. I just wanted to go spend more time with my dad and yeah. I had a chance to go, you know, spend most of my time living with him. Right. Um, so I, I I did that and uh, probably lived with him for a better part of a year there. And again, it was a really stable part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. So as messed up as my dad always was, those two stable parts of my childhood, the only two stable parts I can recall were when my parents were together the second time. And then that few months I lived with my dad by by ourselves, just the two of us. Right. Those were just happy, stable, good times in my childhood. Now, at this point in his life, had he had any health conditions other than the, the scars from the burns and the various uh, bullet holes, stabbings, and whatnot? Nothing yet except a couple of vascular surgeries on his legs because he had poor circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was getting worse off where he had to have it again, and then he got a bad infection in the, in the leg. And uh, then eventually, yeah, he had the leg amputated. That was when my parents were together for the third time. He had okay. the leg amputated. At this yeah. point, he's well into his 50s. And he had a prosthetic leg. He did have a prosthetic leg, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, you know what, there's a little more violence to be told. Not not involving people, just some gunplay. Okay, gunplay. Yeah, one time my, my mom and I were gone, and my dad was, he was recovering from uh, the leg amputation. And we were gone somewhere, and we might have been gone overnight. Um, she, you know, she was in healthcare, so she made sure he had everything he needed to be okay. And he could get around all right with his prosthetic, you know. Um, he got drunk that night. See, he didn't drink a lot, but he would occasionally drink so some. When he got when he drank, he drank. Yeah. Yep. And he got drunk that night and I think he was contemplating suicide probably, but he wound up shooting a fax machine and a TV and a hole in the wall. He had a fax machine at home? He had a fax machine, yeah. Mm. He was an entrepreneurial in oh, the nineties. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, so there you he, go. he shot the fax machine that night. And uh, my dad, again, with all the mental health issues, never diagnosed with anything. And I I don't did he seek out a diagnosis? Hell no. No, okay. not back not back then. Right. No, absolutely. A dude like him, time like that, no way this in hell. This is pre-talking about your emotions, yeah, pre-Prozac and all that. Yeah, yeah, he took Prozac at some point. 
oh. just prescribed by his MD, regular family doctor. Mm-hmm. He never sought any mental health care, really. Um, but yeah, the uh, and he he tried several times to kill himself, attempts at suicide, uh, taking a bottle of pills, but then he'd you know get emotional and tell somebody where he was, what motel he was at, and they'd right. go find him. And uh, one time they cried found for him, help. They, yeah, one time they found him in a motel and he was on the floor and he was blue. And uh, he was almost dead, but not quite. And they got him back, and he was all right. Um, <clears throat> was he yeah, crying for somebody to get him into a, a program? I, I don't know. I know you were too young to realize at the time. He wouldn't have gone into one willingly. Yeah. He might, maybe he wanted the state to force him into one. Maybe, he just realized at the time this was a bad idea. I need to get out of this. Maybe he wanted to be institutionalized in some way. I don't. Right. I don't know. I don't know what he wanted. I just yeah. know it was a mental illness. So sure. th- there's no rhyme or reason to it because mental illness. You right. can't reason it out really. Yeah. Um, but which makes it so odd because when he finally when he finally did commit suicide later on when he was sixty three years old with one leg, he left this micro cassette recording, an audio recording, one of those tiny little cassette tapes. He checked into a hotel room, right? He did, he did. But he left this micro cassette recording and he explained it all in such a reasonable fashion. Uh, because uh, when, when he when he finally did kill himself, he was sixty three and he was living in a retirement home because he was pretty disabled with one leg and all these problems he had health-wise. He needed heart surgery, but before he could have heart surgery, he had to have uh, a vascular procedure on his neck because he was having uh, circulatory problems in his neck, some of those veins and arteries. So he had to have pretty major surgery on the neck so that he could handle having the heart surgery. Right. And it was just more and more of that. You know, it was like a snowball of just vascular surgeries, basically from head to toe. He's already lost a leg. He's missing half of one finger. And things are getting worse, not better. And he knows that because he never took care of himself. He lived hard. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he decided that, it, well, he might not survive the heart surgery after the next surgery. Or if he does, he might just not be good for anything. He might not be able to live any kind of life. And this is all stuff he said on the audio tape, what I'm saying to you now. Not that I agree with it, not that I condone it. I'm certainly not encouraging anyone to harm themselves, so don't think that. But he explained all of it that he was going to lose the ability to make his own choice, and he wanted to make his own choice and and basically end it on his own terms instead of finding himself laid up in a nursing home where he couldn't do anything about it if he wanted to. Or or fifty one fifty or something like that. Yeah, and my dad was way into the the Dr. Gavorkian stuff when it was on, when he was on trial, and that was yeah. big in the news in the nineties. My dad definitely supported stuff like assisted suicides and things like that. Is yeah. deciding to end it yourself, right. and he explained it so rationally and reasonably that you know you kind of buy it honestly from what he said. So you've listened to the cassette one time. Only I never I. I could have gone to the Anderson County Detention Center at some point and gotten the the, the, the thirty eight revolver, but I didn't want that. I imagine it's probably been destroyed or something at some sure. point because it was twenty years ago. It ain't there now, right? Um, but yeah, I listened to the audio cassette just one time ever, and that was enough for me. Oh yeah, yeah. So, but, but what happened there at the end was my dad went and uh, he checked into a motel. I was living with my aunt. I was sixteen. I was living with my aunt. Aunt Fanny. Yeah, <laughs> Aunt Fanny. <laughs> and uh, he checked into a motel about three miles up the road from the house, closest one you could get to the house on the highway that leads right into Georgia. And, uh, yeah, he checked in and drank a bottle of whiskey and worked up his courage, drank up his courage, and uh, he made his audio recording when he was sober, and then he got drunk, and he, he shot himself. That's something I always wanted to ask. I did not know if the actual shooting was recorded as well. No. Okay. No, he he recorded it when he was sober. You could tell because mm-hmm. he was 
very well spoken and reasonable. Not emotional, just kind of matter of fact. He was just sober, and you could tell. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's the end of his story. Yeah, that's he chose to end it himself there, and it, it was very hard for a long time. It was very difficult to deal with because you you lose somebody because you start you know you. Why don't you they start want to take the blame a little bit? Why don't they want to be there? You know, it's it's part of that too. Why don't I want to be there? He never saw me make anything of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a a sixteen year old kid who weighed like four hundred fifty pounds when he died. He never saw me make anything of myself or do anything with myself. Yeah. He never had He's any. He's still reason. waiting, by the way. He never had any reason <laughs> to think I would do anything in my life. Yeah, you know, he wouldn't be able to imagine what I do now. He wouldn't be able to imagine that this happened. No, never, because when he, when, when he died, I was this sixteen-year-old fat kid. I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't look you in the eye. I, I couldn't have a conversation with you. I was very soft-spoken and quiet and mousy mm-hmm. and nerdy. And, and he just never had. I mean, he never saw any sign of the person I became. Right. But I don't. Would I become that? person? person otherwise it's all part of the story it's all all everything that happened led to where i am now we had we had obviously become friends at that point and uh we'd already been to SummerSlam in raleigh by then SummerSlam and met vince mcmahon and uh, all those guys um i'll never forget when you called me at uh i was living in easily at the time and we, you know we, we were talking about wrestling is what we always talked about and we talked my kid's wife, uh, my kid's wife, uh, it's weird for me to say my ex-wife, but my, my ex-wife, my, my baby mama, was in there cooking dinner, and I uh, said, hold on, uh, James is calling. Oh, yeah. Because I was thinking, like, you were at nine then, mm. and you were not Jimmy then, so you were James. I was, I was just hold James. On, James is calling. She's like, Reverend Fire. I said, yeah. That one. And uh, Lord's Pain? Yeah, the same one. We talked for 20 or 30 minutes in a just a circular conversation about wrestling where I was like, all right, I don't want to be mean, but, you know, dinner's ready by this point. And it just went into this conversation where I was like, he just want to talk to somebody right now, but this is kind of odd, but also dinner's ready. Yeah. So at the end of that, you said, so I'm paraphrasing, you said something effective. All right, I also want to tell you that uh, my dad killed himself last night. Yeah, I just yeah, you, you, we did it in the morning, early in the morning, like eight o'clock in the morning. Okay, um, I, I just yeah, it was one of those things where during the conversation you didn't know how to bring it up, you how to say it, can't spit it out. Yeah, you got something you want to say and you can't say it. It was one of those. It was it was definitely it was definitely a struggle. And I mean, you know what? Another thing since then that that's a good thing that came out of that is I've, I've I won't say counsel, but I've talked to a lot of people um, who've gone through the same thing, and I think I've been able to help some of them a little bit along the way, and I'm glad that I'm able to do that. Because there aren't too many people who have the ability to do that, and not just the who, who have the experience to do that and the ability to do that, or the want to, because you have to go through that mentally yourself when you talk to other people about it, and you kind of not that you want to block out the memories of your father, yeah. but you definitely don't want to think about the end of his life like that. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I won't. I'm not some hard ass. She's like, well, it's done, it's done. But it, it, I came to peace with it over time, especially as I began to realize that my dad was born in 1938. My dad would be almost 82 years old now. He wouldn't still be here. There's no way in his condition, with his health, no way. Who would he vote for? Don't answer that. We know. Well, nobody. He was a felon. Ah, he couldn't. He couldn't do it anyway. <laughs> Bobby Dabler. Yeah, he couldn't do it if he wanted to, man. Man. And, and what are the other little tidbits of the story? Your first car was a former taxi. Yeah, my dad's former taxi. A yep. yellow taxi. Yep. Yeah, it was. The, you drove that. That was your, your first car. And um, you mind if I bring up the prosthetic? No, we got a couple minutes, man. You, you, 
you brought the prosthetic around you right when we started doing radio. I think we you put it in the office on your desk, or it was, I did, yeah. And then it became. We would use it in various bits, like yeah. it would be a placemaker, or, or we would do. We did a, a launching of it one time, so you could throw it the, the you know the longest distance. Yeah. Yeah, was that your way of dealing with it in a sense? I mean, very awkward, very odd to think about. It was a strange now, thing. But no, it was, was that a way? It was the only thing I had left of my dad. You know, there was no, there's no inheritance or, or estate or legacy there, really. Yeah. Um, there was really nothing but the prosthetic leg. That's the only thing I had left. Yeah. Was that prosthetic leg and that old orthopedic shoe it wore for all those years? <laughs> I, dude, I was thinking exactly about the shoe. Yeah. So I, you I, still have it? I kept it for a while now. It's gone now. Yeah. I don't have any Donated, I think you said years ago. No, nobody would take it. Just yeah. disposed of it. I was trying to make you sound good. No, I know. I would have if I could have, but nobody would take It'd it. It'd be odd to roll up on a trash, <laughs> trash yeah. collector and see that hanging Well, out. I'm sure they see all kind of weird stuff. Oh, but, they go to my house. <laughs> but, yeah. So, so, yeah, I kept that. the only thing I had left of them, the only thing I really had to, 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 to remember him by. I've thought about this for uh, probably 10 years yeah. at least. Look me in the eye right now. Don't ever repeat that. Like don't don't take your life. No, no, I never would. Don't look away. It's not it's not it's not in it's not my prerogative. I don't have any desire. Bobby Brown that. said that. I don't have any uh I don't have any thoughts about doing that. Good. I'm here to see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And everybody should be here to see what happens. Um and my dad was old and sick. He thought he was older I think than he was. Sixty three is not that old. My dad was very old at sixty three. This yeah. is the life he lived. Yeah. All these stories I've told, don't do that crap. You'll wind up in the same spot. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's try not to repeat his mistakes. But, yeah, and, you know, it was, it was, it was my dad, and I, and I loved him, even though he killed a guy and been to prison and did a lot of horrible things, a lot of awful things. He was always— Kicked the donkey in the ass. Yeah, trying to trying to seek redemption in his own way, kind. I just never could do it. Yeah. It's too much in his way, and a lot of it was, was mental illness. If my dad was a bright guy, though, if he'd had an education beyond sixth grade, if he'd had any kind of help with with mental health um, back then, he could have done a lot of things. He would have probably been a, a really an impressive human being. He wouldn't have had this awesome story, though. But you may have ended up being a cab driver. Who knows? Who knows? But then again, if my dad had had an education and some mental health, he probably would have owned the company. I've given you a week to think about it. Who would play your father in a major motion picture? Spielberg's on the phone now listening. Man, I don't know anybody who could do it. Maybe uh, maybe Dave Franco, somebody like that could pull it off. Oh, we're doing the younger years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you could age him. I was thinking Dennis Hopper. Well, see, it would be easier to make a young guy look old than to make an old guy look young. I've seen Benjamin Button. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you know. Jimmy Jack Jackie, what a conversation. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too, man. A lot of stories I never got to tell and a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of stuff has never been told before, at least publicly. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Uh, that's been episode four and part two. So let's say this. Episode four of uh, After Hours with the Rise Guys, uh, the life and times of Eddie McDonald. Yep. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to that. That's, man, that's like therapy in a sense, especially now that it's done. It's like, oh, man, feel good. You can go get some lunch? Yeah, absolutely. I'm hungry. All right, let's do it. Uh, for Jimmy Jack Jackie, I'm Matt Man. Spread the word if you would. This has been episode four of After Hours with the Rise Guys. All right, get out. Time to close the doors on another episode of After Hours with the Rise Guys. Subscribe on Radio.com.
Radio.com and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Pass it around to your family and friends and other P1s. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Yeah.